Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Bernie and Sheila Inman. Uh, Bernie is a survivor of, uh, 28 years ago of a critical workplace incident. He's now turned into a critically acclaimed uh, motivational speaker around safety. So Bernie and Sheila, love to have you on the podcast. Love if you could maybe share your story a little bit. Uh, we can start get started there. Well, thanks for having us, Eric. It's a, it's a very much a privilege for both of us. Um, 28 years ago, uh, I was employed in the oil and gas sector as a production operator. And um, you know what started out uh, like any other day, perfectly normal, uh, ended up in a world of grief after uh, an inadvertent slipper trip uh, mm -hmm. resulted in a prolonged exposure to methanol or methyl alcohol as a product to chemical that we uh, injected into our pipelines, et cetera, for freeze protection. Right. So, so tell me, tell me a little bit, cause I, I understand you were, you were, uh, out for a very long time. Uh, so tell me a little bit what happened and, and how that actually happened. Because I've got no recollection of the entire incident or the mm -hmm. ship leading up to this uh, incident. Um, all I can really speak about is in terms of, um, contributing factors is what we've learned from the investigation process. And, you know, it starts with, in all likelihood, a slip or a trip, um, uh -huh. which resulted in a, flaw, in a fall, um, subsequent blow to the head, which I didn't have a, a hard hat covering up because of, a, you know, a complacency creeping into, into my day-to-day -day routine. Uh -huh. uh, that blow to the head... Uh, after I collapsed in this building, uh, I came to be resting on top of a methanol injection pump. And the discharge end of this particular pump was in a lever-style configuration. And unfortunately, uh, the weight of my leg and boot was enough to crack that valve open. And wow. from that point in time on, um, every stroke the pump was taking was discharging raw methanol, not only on you know, to the floor in this little building, but eventually onto, you know, my boots, my clothing, eventually skin contact. And that's where they found me approximately 12 hours later. Oh my goodness. That's a very long time. And, and how did they end up uh, finding you at that point? Because normally you would expect for somebody working alone that there would have been some protocol, protocols to, to jump in and realize why is it that you haven't called in? Yeah, you know, unfortunately... Um, back in that time frame, back in the 1990s, uh, it wasn't uncommon for us to be working alone mm -hmm. uh, for extended periods of time. There was no call-in procedures or anything of that nature. Um, my wife was the one who actually initiated uh, the panic button, and uh, that only occurred when she came home from work and found our home empty when you know mm -hmm. I should have been there. I, I, I firmly believe in the value of 
of uh, keeping our co-workers or our loved ones informed as to yeah. where we're at, what we're doing, and at any given time, roughly what time we're going to be home. I always tried to do that. And uh, when it didn't happen that night, um, Sheila uh, initiated um, uh, the search. Uh, my co-worker uh, went out looking at approximately 12 midnight. And, mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately, it was the last location that he checked. Our field was fairly extensive. It, it included a central gas plant and approximately 75 uh, kilometers of pipelines and, and field locations feeding this site. And... As it sometimes goes, it was the last location that he looked uh, because right. it was the least one that you would expect something bad to happen in. And to all of our horror, that's the one that got me. So, so Sheila, maybe tell me from your standpoint, you, you come home and, and Bernie's not there. Tell me what, what your experience through this was. Um, okay, I come home and Bernie's not there and I... Uh, it's not unusual because he does work. He does work late sometimes. He didn't have a phone back then. We didn't even have cell right. phones. He just had a phone in, at the plant site. So of course I came home. I waited a while. I called the plant site. At the time he had an XJ radio. I tried calling that. I uh, I call I called his coworker right away to say he wasn't mm -hmm. home. I did a phone search for Bernie. I called the hockey rink. I called his friends. I called his coworker. And by midnight, when Bernie didn't come home, I realized something was really wrong. And I encouraged Al to go look for Bernie because he had to be out there somewhere. Right. And so that's where uh, Al, I think you said, went went out on a search. So tell me, tell me what happens from here. Uh, Al locates me. Uh, he's somewhat uh, surprised to find my pickup parked on site the vehicle was running the door was open uh mm. he assumed he assumed that i would probably come out of that building and you know inquire as to what he was actually doing there obviously that didn't happen and um you know upon entry he found me unconscious in the building uh checked my vital signs got me out of the toxic environment uh called uh, for emergency services and began his got me into his pickup and uh, met the ambulance um, part way part way to to the hospital wow and, and so from from your standpoint Sheila tell me about what what's the experience from a from an injury like this from a from an incident that occurs like this um you know what it's just um when something like this happens it's so unexpected unexpected as all injuries mm. are and it's doubly hard when it's a preventable workplace incident because it could right. be prevented and bernie could have been found a lot sooner um sure. there were definitely um things that the company changed after bernie was hurt to make the environment a better place and mm -hmm. we're we're happy about that we're happy that things are better now and that's sometimes how it happens and that incident has to happen before you realize what's uh, what needs to be changed uh, ideally, it doesn't, right? Ideally, an organization is always looking at where where could something go wrong. Like in this particular case, somebody who's working alone have some form of a call out protocol, check in protocol, so that if it's taking longer than than it should, I proactively start taking steps. Oh, absolutely. And unfortunately, at the time, there wasn't even a work a call in procedure for Bernie's workplace. So it was, mm. you know, what it was something. I know Bernie had thought about and, and had talked about it in safety meetings, but it, it had never come about. 
And so you, you mentioned it, and, and even that, that didn't trigger a, a reflection to say, maybe we need to close the, the gap on this front? Well, you know what? I think it was standard back then in the mm -hmm. workplace industry, in the oil and gas industry. It was not common practice to have a call-in procedure. Wow. So, so let's get into some of the, 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 the key contributing factors to this incident. So to tell me a little bit about kind of how, how it happened and some of the things that could be done to, to prevent this from occurring. When, you know, maybe I should start with saying that we took about seven years um, mm. in recovery before uh, I was approached to talk about this. And mm -hmm. when we agreed to do something of this nature, uh, Sheila and I really sat back and tried to reevaluate uh, again for, you know, for the upteen time because we'd been down that mm -hmm. path hundreds of times when you wake up thinking you're in the middle of a nightmare and you realize it's absolutely true. Um, four, four elements really came to the forefront and it started with policy and procedure. I wasn't yep. wearing a hard, uh, I wasn't wearing a hard hat. It's a blatant disregard to company policy. They spend millions of dollars on PPE for my benefit. I didn't mm -hmm. wear it. Um, obviously safety equipment, personal uh, protective equipment is key in any safe work environment. Yep. C communication or lack thereof uh, obviously played a, a, a huge role in the severity of this incident. I was exposed to raw methyl alcohol. If I was out of that building in two hours or three hours, I probably still walk. I'm not a quadriplegic. I'm not burnt over 70% of my body. Uh, so the breakdown in communication was paramount. And then probably the most critical one that uh, I, I think crept into my world, and I think it's very easy to creep into anybody's world, is this issue of complacency. Mm -hmm. And uh, it caught up with me because this was uh, the simplest uh, ill-equipped uh, facility we had in, in our fleet. In other words, there's no heat generating devices, no electrical components. It's sweet natural gas. And um, you perform the same tasks day in, day out without suffering any adverse effects. And uh, I got comfortable, let my guard down. And that's the nature of complacency. I just don't know as though there's anything more dangerous out there than, than complacency because it happens and you're not even aware of it. Yeah, that's exactly the case. So often that's what I hear is I, I did it a hundred times, maybe in a way I knew it wasn't the safest way. Uh, and then I start realizing that's okay. I, I can, I can get away. Nothing's happened. Um, and, and then you become complacent to the, to the risk of the hazard. So what are some of the things that could have, uh, that as an organization, as leaders could have helped from a complacency standpoint, uh, to help reduce the likelihood that people do become complacent around some of those hazards? That is a, that's a, that's the age old question. And that's <laughs> why, um, that's why uh, Sheila and I, and I, when we do a live presentation, it's entitled safety starts with awareness, awareness starts yeah. with you, uh, because you can, there's steps that an individual could take, the corporation could take, that we can all take, cause we're all, we're all part of that team. Exactly. Uh, yes. And it starts with learning from incidents, regardless of, of, uh, how menials, they might appear to be. I mm -hmm. mean, I bumped, I bumped a, a, a bleed valve. We never thought that that would, you know, end up being a, a life-threatening injury. Is it complacency? Um, I don't think the valve was. I think walking into a building that I considered to not have any 
harmful contributing factors to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the that's that's the scary part of it. So so complacency. You bring in outside workers. You bring in speakers. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you train your staff, you bring in Propulo, you bring in corporations like this, and all of it's going to enhance the ability to keep people aware and, and not let that complacency factor come into play. It's kind of like kind of like wearing a seatbelt. We know it works. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes we don't wear it, and we know what the results can be. And, and I, I would think it's similar to when you were talking about the PPE, you weren't wearing your hard hat. How, how did that set in? Was that just the, the first time it had happened, or... Was that something you'd kind of felt you didn't need to to, to wear? Wonderful question, Eric. Um, I, this particular site where I was found and this incident occurred was very quiet. There mm-hmm. was uh, no need for me to wear a hard hat that had hearing protection attached to it. Sure. And because of my belief that there was uh, non-hazardous uh, operation in this little building, uh, I just entered. I didn't even think twice. It was a long shift. I'd been on callouts previously. Thought I'd take the opportunity to go home that direction that afternoon, ensure that this facility would would produce in a normal, stable fashion. Not only because mm-hmm. its productivity, but its accuracy of of, uh, of the product. Uh, it wasn't flowing normally, and I just didn't even think twice. Just opened the door, saw things were unstable, entered the building, and never made it out of there. And with it, with taking five minutes, like there's often people talk, take five, five, just reflect. Would that have made a difference, right? If 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 you had walked in, looked at what are the hazards, a bit like normally you've got a tailboard. If you've got a crew you're working with, would that have helped kind of understand what hazards might be present before jumping in? Oh, certainly. Yes, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that um, y- you know, uh, as individuals, we're smart, common sense. You know, goes a long way as well. Mm-hmm. I also think it's very critical that the employee understands that it's perfectly okay for them to take a step back. If it doesn't yeah. look right and it doesn't smell right, just take a, a step back, uh, survey the situation, and then act accordingly. And and uh, that's something that I didn't do. And I think it's it's too often we we jump in assuming the task is as we had originally planned, and we show up and something's changed. Right. So it could be something as 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 benign as it started raining and I'd done my, my tailboard, I'd prepare for the job before the rain came, but the rain might introduce a new hazard uh, into the equation or, or whatever else might, I show up and it doesn't look the way it should. Oh, absolutely. And, and, it, and it's changing and evolving all the time. I mean, from a process standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, mm-hmm. from a, a managerial logistical standpoint, there's lots of factors and, you know, uh, I'm confident that people have the ability to manage those and it, it takes an effort and that's an effort that's that absolutely necessary. And it's, um, it's, it demonstrates a commitment to the employees. This episode of the safety guru podcast is brought to you by Propolo consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions. Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. 
And so both of you uh, often go speak to organizations, to teams, to leaders around the incident and, and really sharing some ideas. What are some of the things that the key messages you really try to impart to, to team members to reduce the likelihood of, of them actually having a, an incident? From a leader uh, perspective, I think it's so absolutely critical that mm -hmm. the personal, personal commitment to the workers is first. Uh, not last, yeah. and I believe that leaders uh, and employees alike they, they take it personally because it is personally. You, you can't. Mm -hmm. It is personally. You can't sustain an incident like this. Watch the ripple effect go through the corporation, your your coworkers and your colleagues. Those you become close with when you work side by side over time to achieve the goals put before you. It's it, it's common to develop friendships and bonds right. and something like this happens. And um, that ripple effect extends, you know, um, from a monetary perspective through increased WCB premiums, et cetera, to the human aspects, which is, you know, the horrible feeling that everybody had when I went down. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and what are some of the other lessons for, for leaders around it? Cause I think, in this particular case, you've talked about a few really in terms of really, as a leader, I can reinforce uh, certain themes around complacency. I can drive um, a messaging around take five. I can drive a messaging around really assess the hazards, that it's okay not to jump in if something doesn't feel right, doesn't feel safe. Um, I can start thinking about areas of potential failure points around what happens if I've got a lone worker who's working alone and and something goes wrong, how do I make sure that I check in to, to know that something's happened, not rely on, on a, a loved one to, to realize that somebody hasn't shown up? It is. It's, it, it's a broad spectrum, uh, spectrum mm -hmm. out there. I think it's critical, um, absolutely essential, that, that leaders understand uh, like the landscape of what safety excellence looks like and that they can reiterate that and clearly articulate that to their staff because, you know, sometimes actions speak louder, louder than words. And when it's coming from your high-level leaders, uh, I can only tell you from my perspective what it, went, would, have, what it would have meant to me mm -hmm. um, to have that feeling. And I could tell you honestly, uh, I, I didn't have. So, so the leaders didn't reinforce at the time the messaging that, Safety was critical. It wasn't something that was drilled in on a daily basis. At the time, we were production uh, productivity mm -hmm. based, and you know costs are in check, costs are controlled, costs are scrutinized. Uh, unfortunately, at the time, um, safety excellence mm -hmm. then or now it comes it, it comes at a cost, yeah. and and this is something that needs to be talked about at the highest of levels because. This is where budgets are considered. This is where budgets are approved. And, you know, the day of, uh, of a dividing line between productivity and safety, that, that's long gone. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they go hand in hand together. Yes. And it needs to be like that. And it's money well spent because it's an investment in your employees and it demonstrates commitment. That's huge. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the key message is, is even if at the C-suite level I'm talking about safety, I'm reinforcing the, the importance as a value. This is, this is how we do our work. Um, that goes a long way. Uh, budgets obviously matter. 
but the messaging and if the consistency of that message from an executive to to a, a frontline team member and frontline supervisor has to be there. It has to be there. That you know, when you when you consider uh, these corporations, organizations, that we're all we're all one team. We're all working right. to obtain the same goal, and there's nothing more disruptive, in my opinion, um, from a monetary perspective, from a human perspective, than being near achieving those goals collectively with the team and then watching it go awry because of a preventable incident. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, it just uh, takes the wind right out of your sails from the upper, the most upper level, right down, right down to the guy who's sweeping the floor. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll just, just quickly jump into it here quick. Um, sure. I just, like I can appreciate that I'm an important part of the puzzle when it comes to the mm -hmm. Bernie Inman story, because when injury happens, it doesn't just affect the injured worker. Bernie got hurt that day, but it affected me. It affected our marriage. It affected our kids, our families, our friends. The ripple effect of injury is huge. Right. And the decisions you make affect everybody around you. I usually, when we talk at a presentation, I let everybody know this. So I want everyone listening to your podcast to know this as well, that everybody listening is a VIP. And mm -hmm. I guarantee there is somebody waiting for you to come home because we are all sons and daughters. Right. Maybe we're moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, friends, pet owners, whatever. I guarantee that there's somebody waiting for you to come home. And I really feel that it's almost a responsibility to come home safely to your loved ones every time because they're counting on you. I'm, I'm really shy by nature and it's really hard for me to talk about Bernie's incident and uh, you know, basically the hardest time of our lives. So what I did was I wrote a poem and it was just a way for me to express and get out there what I wanted to say. And I'm going to mm -hmm. share a portion of it with you mm -hmm. right now. Yes, thank you. Okay. It's called The Importance of Safety. Safety starts with awareness. Awareness starts with you. It's something we all have to learn. I'll tell you a story that's true. On the 24th of January, my sweetie went to work with a kiss and a hug and a wave and a smirk. We had the world by the tail, our future so bright, our carefully laid plans changed forever that night. Ernie was found all alone, unconscious he lay in a pool of methanol. What had happened that day? From the stress of it all, I'm lucky to say my mind has played tricks. I don't remember much from those days. But I remember the feeling. I remember it well. The heartache, the tears. Have I descended to hell? Uh, okay, so I'm going to stop there. But yeah. I just want to—I just want to uh, share the very last part of my poem, mm. and it's—it um, says, 
My soul is just fine. I want all to see. It's filled to the brim. I'm so lucky to be me. I just, I guess I just want to share how we found happiness. And one of the most important things is to be grateful. And it's yeah. easy, like in the ICU unit or the burn unit or rehab to look around and find someone worse off than us. And I would say a little prayer of thanks. Thankful for Bernie in my life. I'm thankful he made it. I'm thankful that he's a great dad and he has the opportunity to do that. I'm thankful that we get to talk with you, Eric. And, <laughs> um, and you know what? If you're thankful, you can have an amazing life. So, so Sheila, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that the power of this is really safety is something that's very personal. And that, that was incredibly um, powerful in terms of the story you shared and, and your experience through it. And I think it was it's interesting because just a few hours ago, I was actually talking to, to some leaders exactly about this, is making safety more personal. Uh, sometimes it's about procedures and thou shall do this and books and stuff I need to tick boxes on. But at the end of the day, safety is something that impacts a person, a family, a loved one, like you said, um, and everybody's got that. And it's really thinking about how do I really make it personal so people choose to take part in it, realize their, their part in it is also the company's part in it. So thank you so much for sharing that, Sheila. Thank you. It, it is, a, I could sort of chime in on this too. Uh, mm. It's raw experience uh, from the family and the spousal perspective. And that's sometimes doesn't come to the forefront as uh, workers and employees when we make decisions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's easy to, you know, cut the corner or take the chance and not even realize or recognize the type of impact you could have on your loved ones. And, you know, my, uh, the original prognosis for me was a, a limited chance of survival and mm. supposedly uh, to be brain damaged to the point of being institutionalized and blind. Oh. And this is, this is horrible things that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Sheila just stood before me 11 months prior to that and said in sickness and in health and in good times. Of- oh, wow. So this will, this is going to um, reflect in the, nature of what this incident meant to mm. Sheila, even though 28 years has passed there. So I just, um, you know, I always got to think of what it's going to mean to those that are at home waiting for you to come home safe and sound. And I think that's an important message because sometimes even in companies, we we don't talk about it in that way. We, we talk about it in terms of rules and procedures as opposed to why this really matters. So thank you both for sharing your story. You're both... Um, you present together, share presentations around safety, around your story. Uh, how can somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to, to know more and, and, and share your story within the organization? You can reach out to us through our website at uh, bernieinman.com. There's telephone contact information on there. And uh, we've had the, the privilege, the honor of uh, you know, talking to uh, different industries throughout North America and different parts of the world. Although my injury occurred uh, in a different country than some, um, mm-hmm. in a different environment, different industry, uh, the playing field levels itself when it comes to injury. And um, once the injuries happen, uh, we learn from it the same way, regardless of the yeah. industry. Yeah. Sheila, Bernie, thank you so much for joining me today. 
on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for bringing your story to a lot of other people to reflect on how can I stay safer? How as a leader can I influence my organization to, to make sure this never happens to another family? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, Sarah. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy, distinguish yourself from the pack, grow your success, capture the hearts and minds of your teams, fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.